Now this evening I want to speak to you about forgiveness. Uh, the Bible commands the true followers of Christ to forgive those who offend or do wrong to them. Forgiveness is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. William Black famously said, The glory of Christianity is to conquer by forgiveness. The glory of Christianity is to conquer by forgiveness. A Christian, therefore, who does not forgive is an oxymoron, isn't it? It's a contradiction in terms. The great Martin Lloyd-Jones said, If we really know Christ as our Savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hurt. And we cannot refuse to forgive others. And yet as I think about that, and if you're honest with yourself, you know that you often struggle to truly forgive other people in your life, including other followers of Christ. You know, there's nothing more painful in life than being deliberately armed by someone else. Car crashes, uh, accidents, diseases are impersonal. But when someone willfully abuses us verbally, physically, financially, or emotionally, that feels different, doesn't it? It pushes our pain off the scale. And this pain, I think, means that we are not always willing to admit that we carry some unforgiveness towards other people. No matter what we hear. Now, when I said today we're talking about forgiveness, I wonder what came to your mind. I think my guess is that some of us immediately thought, that's not for me. (laughs) I have no enemies. (laughs) I have no one to forgive. That is for Jennifer, who is always complaining to everyone about how bad her husband treats her. I hope Catherine is listening to what the pastor is about to say. She has a poor relationship with Jenny because of the way Jenny spoke to her child last month. I hope she's really listening. It must be for Shanice, isn't it? She has never reconciled with Shania in the church over a silly argument. Even until now, they never really talk to one another. This is how many of us think when it comes to this topic, isn't it? But I want to suggest that this sermon, if I want to declare that this sermon is for all of us. It is for everyone here because we all need to grow First of all, in accepting that unforgiveness is an issue for us. Just because you don't think about it 24 hours a day doesn't mean you don't struggle with this. So we need to grow in accepting that it's an issue for all of us, for you. And we need to grow in understanding what true forgiveness is. You know, as I've been preparing this message, I've been thinking about it. It has really struck me, and in fact, I was having a conversation with uh, two ladies at lunchtime today, after the morning service, and we're having this conversation. I said, it has really struck me that we never truly forgive others, because we don't really know really what true biblical forgiveness is. Now, the Lord knows we struggle with this issue, and that's why we had a whole Bible study (laughs) through Philemon, six studies, I think, Taking us through this issue of forgiveness and reconciliation. Clearly, the Lord thinks this is an issue for us. 
And so he prepared that, and today has brought us to this passage again. Not so long since we looked at Philemon. And so we are in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, uh, which says this, isn't it? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must, you also must forgive. Now, prior to verse 13, which we spent a lot of time looking at, you know, Paul has been reminding us that the Colossians, has been reminding the Colossians that they are now a new humanity in Christ, right? They are being changed to be like Christ. And because this is who they now are, a new humanity has been transformed into the image of Christ, they must now grow together, isn't it, to put off the filthy clothes of sin that dishonors God and brings division among them. And not only get rid of that, those, those um, <laughs> relational sins, they must now put on new clothes listed in verse 12. These clothes will now help them to treat each other well. They must put on this garment of goodness, which has these six things we looked at in verse 12. They must live as a new humanity in Christ. And so when we step back and we look at verse 9 to 12, that's the line of thought that Paul is making. We can remind ourselves of those verses. Do not lie to one another, verse 9, seeing that you are put off the old self with its practices and are put on the new self, the new humanity, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's Jesus. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in home. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, we've now finished looking at verse 12, and I'm sure you're very happy that we're able to move on from verse 12. This evening, we are moving on from verse 12. We are looking now at forgiveness. Now, before we do that, I just want to make an important point. We need to understand the context. And you know, I've been moving slow through this because I really want you to appreciate the value of reading the Bible in context. When you look at this verse 13, the way I hope when you come out of this, today you have a better understanding than you had when you just look at verse 13 in your own time. I hope you have, you have an appreciation of the context. Because the context of verse 13 is important. The context of verse 13 is that this is about forgiveness between believers. Bearing with one another, he says. And forgiving. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. You also must forgive. Notice, Paul is talking about Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. It's about relationships at Grace Baptist Church, Colossae, we might say. So although we can extrapolate lessons from this passage about forgiveness in other contexts, particularly towards non-believers, the focus really of this passage is the immediate context of the local church. So bear, interpret scriptures carefully and bear that in mind. And that's what I want to focus on this evening. We could have another sermon that extrapolates lessons from that. I think that's valid to a degree. But I only have one evening and you'll be glad that I've moved on from verse 13. So I just want to focus on that point. 
focusing on two truths, really, I want us to learn this evening from this passage about forgiveness. The first truth is this. We must forgive other followers of Christ because we are forgiven in Christ. We must forgive each other because we are forgiven in Christ. That's the first truth Paul wants us to understand. We must forgive each other, other believers, because together as believers, we are forgiven in Christ. That's the first thing we learn from verse 13. The original word for forgive in verse 13 is a Greek verb, charizomai. Charizomai. It has a bit of charis to it, and then zoma, I guess, right? And the reason for that is that it's conveying the idea of cancelling a debt as an act of grace. Charis is, of course, grace, isn't it? An act of grace towards the person. This is not forgiveness for people who deserve it. Somebody's worked hard and defend you, you see that they're okay with you and, and then you forgive them. No, no, it's not about that. This is about forgiving those who don't deserve it. We don't even think they have to be forgiven. It is for the undeserving. Bearing with one another, he says. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving, charisma, each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive twice, he says there. Three times he mentions the word forgiveness. Paul is saying to the Colossians, you must take unilateral, unilateral action to forgive one another in two areas. Two areas. First, you must bear with each other's faults. Bear with each other's faults. There are things you are doing to each other that you should not even take to heart, Paul is saying. Yes, they are offensive to you, but learn to overlook them, Paul is saying. Just accept that the person you worship Christ with is a sinner like you. So don't take it to heart when they sin against you, he says. Take it on the spiritual chin, we might say. There is no need to go looking grumpy. Bear with them. Learn to relate to other believers without being easily offended by their weaknesses. Bearing with one another, he says. Now, this is a command that every parent with at least two children has learned to give often to their kids. If you've got, more than, if you've got two kids, you're learning to give their little ones, you're learning to give them. If they're already grown, you've given it at some point. You've gone to one of the children and you've said, don't take it to heart with your sister. Overlook it. I don't have the whole day to be solving your problem. Learn to overlook the offense. Wise parents know that healthy families are healthy because people in those families have learned the principle of overlooking each other's minor offenses. And the same is true for us, isn't it? As a church, we cannot have a healthy church unless we obey the first part of verse 13, bearing with one another. We must labor, as Brother Rob often prays, we must labor not to take offense from others. Someone may be having a terrible month, right? They come to church feeling quite low. We don't know what's going on with them. You greet them and they just stare at you. It's been a difficult month for them. And you now feel ignored, right? You now feel ignored. That happens. You are in a Bible study. The discussion is going well. Then someone, you know, very, as we often happen, then someone passes a negative comment that you feel somehow is aimed at you. 
and you feel really hurt. That happens. Or you log into Facebook and you see photos of a church member having a birthday party for a child. You are like, what? My son was not invited. And you feel quite justified. What is this? We are praying for the church to build up and you are out there having birthday parties. You are angry for your son, right? When there'll be a fun. That's righteous anger, right? It happens. When we're in fellowship, there are plenty of situations in which we can be easily offended by others. Other believers, we feel upset by the behaviors, their behavior. And Paul is saying to those of us who easily get upset, right? He says, don't be a person who's always finding fault or being easily offended by the petty actions of others. Don't be easily irritated by other believers. Bearing, bear with one another. Have a thicker spiritual skin, he's saying. Learn to forgive in advance. That's the key point here with this principle. Learn to forgive them in advance without even knowing about it. Right? Now, I just want to make it clear that what Paul is saying here is not stopping us from correcting each other's faults or lovingly confronting someone who has an irritating habit. This is not just for like, doesn't matter. No, it matters. Look, if someone is always late coming to church, say, right, and their behavior upsets you because it makes it harder for you to concentrate in your worship of God, there's nothing wrong with you talking to them, taking them by the side, talking to them, trying to understand why they struggle in this area. And then offer them what you, you can do to help them come to church on time. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're concerned that perhaps there's a child in the church who's always running around and the parent seems to be busy doing other things and that worries you, you're worrying about safeguarding, you're saying, why does she parent like that? And that irritates you because perhaps you've got a history where you've seen things, bad things happen when kids are not being looked after and you're concerned about that. And that irritates you because of your history or whatever. People get irritated for so, so, so. There's nothing wrong with you going to that parent, having a word, and saying, how can I help you on a Sunday? How can I make things easier for you? Because I'm really concerned about your child. The point is that if you're going to confront, we should, um, the point is, I'm not saying we should overlook, the point of saying, bear with others, it means that don't bother about it. It doesn't matter. It's, I think what Paul would say if he was preaching here, expanding on this point, he would say if you're going to confront each other about these sorts of small offenses, you should do it as part of a loving solution to help them in love. Because it's going to come to love later as what binds everything together in perfect harmony. In fact, that's the next point he makes in verse 14. So that's the first area, isn't it? Paul is concerned about you taking unilateral action. He's saying you must take unilateral action to bear with the minor offenses of others. Learn to overlook them. Not every issue is a big issue. Have the maturity to distinguish what is petty and what is very, very serious. And that brings us to the second area that Paul is concerned about. There are such things as serious offenses. I'm not here to give you a list of what I think might be serious. You're, You're all mature people. You figure it out. You know what's serious, what isn't, right? 
There are such things as very, very serious things. Well, I suppose I should give, a, I should give an example. Somebody once duped me of 200 pounds. I think that was a serious offense in the church. <laughs> right? After that, well, maybe you might say, I'm sure Brother Frederick would correct me and say, that's petty. Come on, 200 pounds. <laughs> well, I can tell you at the time I had nothing in the bank. That was serious for me, right? So, uh, standpoint epistemology at this point. That was serious from my perspective. But, you know, there are some things that are really serious. You know about, you know those serious things that other believers can do to us, right? Um, these areas, some believers do very painful things that we genuinely, we are trying, but we are struggling to bear with those things, right? What should we do about those? Well, the same thing. You must forgive them actively. That's what Paul says. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgive commanded twice. Paul is saying, don't hold on to the serious offenses. You must forgive them also. You see, the difference between the minor offenses and the serious offense is not forgive or don't forgive. No. The difference between the minor offenses we, we bear with and the serious offenses where we must forgive, actively forgive, is about the process of which we do that. Right? It's about how we go about forgiving. Whether it's minor offenses, we must forgive. And with minor offenses, we forgive in advance. Do you get that? With minor offenses, we should forgive in advance. Before the fault has happened. Because when the fault happens, we just overlook it. We've already forgiven that because they are, they are in Christ for small things. But with serious offenses, we must work a bit more after the offense to ensure that we've forgiven. That's the difference. Now, we'll come to later about how we forgive, how we actually work through serious offenses to forgive them in a moment. The point for now is simply that Paul is teaching us we must forgive all offenses. Minor offenses, forgive in advance. Learn to labor, as Brother Rob Rex reminds us, learn to labor not to be offended. That's forgive in advance, right? With serious offenses, yes, there is work to be done to work through forgiving uh, those offenses after the offense has happened. Now, this immediately raises the question, doesn't it? Why should we forgive other followers of Jesus? Why should we forgive other followers of Jesus? Now, different parts of the Bible actually answer this question differently. Right? So the Lord's Prayer, how does it answer that? How would the Lord's Prayer answer that question? Why should we forgive others? The Lord's Prayer would say, forgive others, otherwise your Father in heaven won't forgive you. Right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? The, 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 Lord, the principle there is that there's an element of God's conditional forgiveness for us and we need to clearly forgive others if we want to receive forgiveness. Another part of the Bible speaks to that. There's a... There's a the, the, the parable of the merciful servant gives us a different reason. Why should we forgive others? It says, well, it's hypocritical not to forgive. <laughs> the merciful servant, the, the unforgiving servant was forgiven and didn't forgive. That's hypocrisy, right? So different parts of the Bible, when you read them, you can build a theology of forgiveness because different parts of the scripture are teaching you different things about forgiveness and you have to take into account the context with which who is involved. Is it everyone? Is it just believers? Or is it just the non-believers? And you can build a theology around that. In this case, this is a unique context. This passage is adding something that we don't find in other parts of the scriptures, I think. Because the context here is purely believers. And Paul's reason of why we should forgive is clearly stated in verse 13. And it's different. Bearing with one another 
and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Right? This passage is about why we forgive followers of Jesus. And the answer Paul has just given is that we must forgive them because they are already what? Forgiven. We must forgive them because they are already forgiven. Why do I say that? Well, the you in verse 13 is plural. Plural. Not just one person. You could read verse 13 like this. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven all of you. Because you is plural. All of you. So all of you must also must forgive. What Paul is saying is that we must forgive others because they are already forgiven by Christ. And Paul has taught us in chapter 1 verse 14 and chapter 2 verse 13 that we are forgiven in Christ. So when you come to chapter 3 verse 13, Paul is saying, why are you wasting time being upset at minor offenses against you by other followers of Jesus? The people you are mad at are already forgiven. Now, remember Paul's point in verse 9 to 11. Do you remember what it is? In verse 9 to 11, Paul is saying, all of you have put on the new humanity in Christ. Christ is all of you and in all of you. You are, in, in, in other words, you are forgiven in Christ. And what does he then say in verse 12? He says in verse 12, you are all of you chosen. All of you are holy. All of you are beloved. You have been set apart for God. You are his saints. There is now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8. And now he gets to verse 13. He says, there is no point in holding on to offenses done to you by other believers. Because God has already forgiven them. They are holy. They are beloved. They are chosen before the foundation of the world. The person who has offended you has already put on the new humanity. So forgive them as God has already forgiven them. Now, Paul is not saying their sins don't matter. He's just reminding us that our forgiveness of others is grounded in God's prior forgiveness of them. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense for us to forgive our brothers and sisters because God, who is their judge, has already acquitted them in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, verse 13 to 14. You see it there. It says this. Paul has already reminded us. And you, you, by the way, there again is plural. All of you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us what? All, all our trespasses, past, present, future, by cancelling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this is set aside, nailing it to the cross. The truth that, when I thought about this truth, that we must forgive other followers of Jesus because God has already forgiven them in Christ, I thought, this is so humbling. It humbles me. In the final analysis, you and I have no claim whatsoever before God against another follower of Jesus because the blood of Christ has already cleansed that believer. If the believer was sinned against us, is truly born again, the blood of, no matter what we think, the blood of Christ 
has forgiven them even for that offense they've committed against us. That's humbling. We can't even be grumpy before God about it. I'm not saying God doesn't care about it. God does. But we are not standing on some righteous ground and they are on a worse ground than us. No. The ground is level at the cross. Is there a follower of Christ, I wonder, this evening, that you're struggling to forgive in your life? Beloved, forgive them now. Forgive them now because they are already forgiven in Christ. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision in your flesh, God made alive with them, having forgiven us, not some of the transgression, but all our transgressions. In the final analysis, your unforgiveness towards any true believer is, if they're true believers, is wasted energy. You are wasting your life dwelling on it because they are already forgiven in Christ. So it is in your best interest to get over yourself and extend forgiveness to them. Your unforgiveness, our unforgiveness, only injures us. It does nothing to other believers, those who have offended us, because they are already cleansed by the blood of Christ. And it is not just wasted energy. Your unforgiveness of other believers raises questions whether you yourself have experienced forgiveness from Christ. And this is implicit in what Paul says in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Paul is saying, those who have been forgiven by Christ are so changed by the forgiveness of Christ that they, in turn, forgive other followers of Jesus. And of course, this again goes back to verse 9 and 10, isn't it? Verse 9 and 10 is where it's going back. Do not lie to one another, verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, including the spirit of unforgiveness, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. And verse, and verse 11, isn't it? But Christ, Christ is all and in all. The combination of this passage is what he's telling us, that the point is that because we are being transformed to be like Christ, we should be growing to be like him. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, God is at work making you become more like Christ. And one of the evidences that you are becoming more like Christ is that you are growing in forgiving. Because remember, Christ forgave us on the cross. By his death on the cross. So immediately, one of the questions you must ask yourself this evening is this. Am I growing in forgiving other followers of Jesus? People who love Jesus as I do. Can my wife, who knows me very well, say, Chola is more forgiving and bearing with other believers in his life than he was two or three years ago? If the answer is, I'm not sure, then I must examine my heart. Me, Chola, I must ask myself, am I living as a backslider? 
Am I a backslidden pastor? Do I even know the Lord? Am I truly saved? <laughs> Beloved, we mu- none of us must be afraid of examining ourselves. Don't take your salvation for granted. Your soul is at stake. If you truly claim to be a Christian, this is not a truth you can ignore. You must act on it today. Because to, to have an unforgiving heart is a salvation issue. Gospel issue. Deal with this issue today. Because as we've seen, we must forgive each other because we are already forgiven in Christ. That's the first truth we learn in this passage. Let's move on to the second truth. So the first truth is we must forgive each other because we are forgiven in Christ. The second truth is we must forgive each other as we are forgiven by Christ. We must forgive each other as we are forgiven by Christ. Paul here is not simply teaching us why we should forgive other followers of Christ. He's also teaching us how we should forgive. Remember what I said? The problem isn't just that many of us are deluded that we have no one who offends us and we have no one to forgive. Most of us, I think, the bigger problem is that we don't really know what it means to forgive. We've heard it preached on, but it hasn't sunk in, I think. About what does, what does it actually mean? How can I be sure I've truly forgiven someone? And so Paul comes to, in this passage, he lays down a clear principle. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The word as there is pointing to us two things. First, we must forgive other believers because Christ has already forgiven all of us. We've dealt with that already. But the second way the as is working here is that it is teaching us that Christ is the pattern. As the Lord has forgiven you, as the example, you also must forgive. Do you see that? Christ is the pattern of how to forgive others. So he gives a reason, and within it is embedded a pattern as well. What does true forgiveness look like, we might ask? Paul's answer is, true forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, is forgiving the way Christ forgave you. So don't need to read 50 steps to forgiveness. Meditate on that truth. The way Christ has forgiven me, that's the way I'm supposed to forgive another person, if I've truly forgiven them. So we must ask ourselves, let's do a collective meditation. Just here, right? How has Christ forgiven us? Well, Paul does not spell out here, actually, in this verse. But he doesn't have to. Because Paul has spent already three chapters in the middle of the third chapter here, spelling that out. He's given us a sense already in the rest in this letter of how Christ has forgiven us. Four things. First of all, Christ took unilateral action to deal with the darkness of our sins. We did not seek God out. He sought us out to forgive us. It was all him. And we saw that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile, that's who we were, beef with God, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled, it's all him, 
in his body that is Christ by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Forgiveness does not start by waiting for the offender to come to us. God did not wait for you to go to him. You hated God, Paul is saying. You wanted nothing to do with God. But out of the abundance of his grace, God took unilateral action in Christ to do good to you without expecting anything in return. It was all an act of grace. And so in the same way, true forgiveness, as a first point, starts with grace. It starts by you going to God and saying, I will let go of this offense. I'll show that person who's offended me the grace he or she doesn't deserve. It's renouncing that person before God, as our brother Fred helpfully reminded us in the Bible study. This is a vertical dimension of forgiveness. Going to God. Unilateral action. Renouncing the person. That's the first thing. Unilateral action. The second thing is this. Christ, how did Christ forgive us? Christ unilaterally took on himself the penalty of our sin and cancelled all our sin debts. Christ gave us a clean bill of health. That's what Colossians 2 verse 13 to 14 says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision in your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By doing what? By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailed it to the cross. Clean bill of health. True forgiveness, beloved, is substitution. The forgiver is paying the price for the offender. That is what our Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. In the hymn uh, we sing often, it says, He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. That's forgiveness. Paul is saying, you must take ownership of the offense. And all the sorrow is brought. You must make them your very own. They've been generated by someone else. They become your very own. You must bear the cost of that. You must bear the price. You must substitution. True forgiveness is debt cancellation. We are saying to God four things. Four things we are saying to God. In this, in, in, in this issue. To forgive. You're saying to God four things. First. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not dwell on this incident anymore. Secondly. I will not bring up this incident again. And use it against him or against us. Third, I will not talk to others about this incident anymore. It's cancelled. Fourth, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our Christian relationship. 
Four things. That's debt cancellation. That's how you and I are meant to surrender the offenses others have done to us. To cancel them before God. One, I will not dwell on this incident. Two, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against him or her. Three, I will not talk to others about this incident anymore. It's cancelled. And four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our Christian fellowship. That's dead cancellation from God's vantage point. If you're talking about your, the incident to others, if you're using that incident to hinder the possibility of a Christian relationship, then you have not really forgiven. I'm sorry, but there's no forgiveness there. And I'm even more sorry to say many believers delude themselves that they don't have an unforgiving spirit when their so-called forgiveness is not Christ-like at all. It doesn't pass those four things. There's no substitution involved. So, forgiveness, as I said, how has Christ forgiven us? Unilateral action. Two, substitution. Moving on. The third thing Christ has done. Christ forgave us by doing good to us. In giving us more than just forgiveness. He gave us a brand new life with him. Don't forget that, beloved. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. A passage I hope you love. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible is saying the result of God, Christ forgiving us our sins, is that he did good to us by blessing us with a new loving life in his beloved kingdom. He brought us into the kingdom of love. And so forgiving others as God has forgiven us means that what? It means that we are now determined to do good to them. If we are following what God has done for us, it means we are determined to do good for them. How does that look like? Well, I think it looks like the rest of verse 12. Compassionate hearts, kindness towards them, humility, gentleness, meekness, and patience towards them. But let me just focus on how that may look like if it, you just focus on compassion. It means doing simple acts of kindness to them. For example, greeting them warmly from the heart. Or cooking a meal for them when they are sick. Or other routine acts of compassion or mercy. You're going beyond simply saying, I've, I've announced it before, but you, you're, you're doing good to them. So you're now, you become a terrorist for good, goodness towards them. Now you might say, Chola, what is that going to do? I mean, come on. <laughs> you're going to walk. I'm not going to walk. I'm just telling you the truth. You might say, Chola, what is that really going to accomplish? I think it will do two things. It will both surprise them and shame them. In a redemptive and loving way. Let me just explain. Usually, people who deliberately sin against us expect us to respond just like them. Because if you respond like them, it justifies in their mind the initial sins against us. Right? The last thing they expect is kindness to them and strength. 
And so when evil is done against us and then we respond with good towards them, it disarms them. They stand with incredulity. Your compassion, your kindness, your humility, your meekness, your gentleness, your patience, I think leaves them in a spiritual disarray. It renders them helpless. You have robbed them of ammunition. They do not know what to do. They don't expect the love and kindness extended to them. And by doing that, I think you are opening the door to a new relationship based on love and forgiveness. Now, I'm just talking about believers here. That Be careful you extrapolate this for other relationships. I'm just talking about believers. There are complications with non-believers. And you need a different passage for that, I would say. But with believers, when you do those things towards them, it opens the door to a new relationship based on love and forgiveness. When you respond with the wonderful virtues of verse 12, it surprises them in a nice way. But also it shames them. Not in a bad sense of the word shame. No, in a redemptive sense. It's not about you trying to humiliate them. I mean, what it does is it exposes the condition of their heart. It lays bare their unrepentant heart. It enables them to see the wickedness of their deed. When, we, when we've been offended by someone and we've renounced them before God, and then it is us now going to do good to them, what it does, you see, is that we are going overboard with kindness, right? It, it now forces the offender not to look at us, but to look at themselves. Right? They start looking at themselves. Because when the light of your kindness shines back in face of their darkness, the ugliness of their heart is exposed for what it really is. And the shame of feeling found out does two things. It either hardens their heart or softens their heart. And that's where we see the proof of whether they are truly converted. If they are converted, their heart softens. They're saying... She's really trying. He's really trying. If their heart hardens, then you see, taking more advantage, then you say, is this person really converted? So the shame here is redemptive shame. Anyway, final thing. I said four and we need to end soon. Finally, God forgave us in Christ. How did he forgive us in Christ? The fourth thing, by reconciling us to himself. By restoring the relationship that our sin had shattered. So, unilateral action, right? Substitution as forgiveness. And then there is doing good, right? We've just been talking about that. And then we see on the cross reconciliation. And we've read those wonderful verses, haven't we? He has now reconciled. You were once alienated and hostile. In mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled peacemaking in his body or flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And I've, I preached on these verses. I said, what God did is like, if we were like a bad neighbor to him, uh, he didn't just say, I'm not going to call the police, right? He likes, go rid of the war of separation and say, come and live in my house. Yeah, I know you're noisy, but you can come and live with me. 
He went above board. It's reconciliation. It's shalom. Living together with God. That's what God did for us. He gave us a brand new peaceful relationship with him. And as I think about this, this is what God wants us to do. He wants us not only to forgive others, uh, renouncing them before God, doing good to those acts of kindness, he wants us to labor towards a new and loving relationship. You know, I think most of the time, we are not willing to walk down the road of true forgiveness because we do not want the trouble down the road of being in conflict with a person again. We know that if we truly handed to God the offense against them, that verse that I was talking about, we know what's going to come next. Because Brother Fred has taught us, if we've done the vertical, what must follow is the horizontal. We must now offer the offender our forgiveness. We are meant to go to them and say, I have forgiven you. We know that. The problem is, most of the time what happens is the offender explodes at the words. Chola, you are say- talk to me again. You are saying you are forgiving me. Okay. <laughs> For what exactly? I never sinned against you. I, I hear what you're saying, brother, but really, there was really no, time, no need for you to drive down here to tell me that you forgive me. Right? Because I, have no, I didn't sin against you. And by the way, I think you sinned against me. Now, we know that's how it's going to play out, don't we? So we know that from the beginning. We know, we, know, we know a bit of theology of forgiveness because we've been in the Bible study. So we know there's a vertical, there's a horizontal. So we're thinking to ourselves, okay, I can do the vertical, but if I don't do the horizontal, there's no point. So what happens is that we, we know that we just bury the thing. We just leave it, right? I, I can't go through all of this. I've had enough. I'm just going to forget. And I'm going to just forget what usually we say. And of course, we haven't forgiven because we haven't followed the biblical pattern here. Now, I sympathize with your situation if you're in that situation. Many of us have been there. I've been there. But beloved, the answer is not to ignore the situation. The answer is that we must trust God to give us the strength to go over the way. This is a salvation issue, as I said. Yes, and yes, I should say, true forgiveness pursues a restoration of Christian relationships. And Brother Fred, again, has, has labored very hard to remind us that pursuing, that does not mean back to the status quo ante, as the diplomats like to call it. That doesn't mean we go back to the way things were. Sometimes things cannot go back immediately to the way things were. But if we are truly serious about forgiveness, if we are truly practicing biblical forgiveness of other believers, if you have been born again, you cannot be satisfied with just cancelling the debt. Because that's not, that's not where God ended. Is that why you want God to end with you? Just cancelling your debt? You want more, don't you? You want more from God. Blessing upon blessing. If we're true believers, we long to love each other again as true believers. And that's what we must be praying for and pursuing. This is the true forgiveness that Christ loves. So what happens if the other person refuses to reconcile? Well, that's not your business. 
Your business is to go guns blazing. Remember, we are back to the other stages. Go guns blazing with kindness, forgiveness. Press on. Not to buy them off. You're just living for Christ and you're showing, doing them good. You're doing what Christ has done for you. And so go back to verse 12. Look at those virtues. And can I encourage you? Think about kindness. Think about gentleness. Think about patience towards them. And patience particularly. Meditate on that. Because it's vital for forgiveness. Sometimes it takes a long time to regain trust, confidence, and delight in another person after an offense. So be patient on the having pursued reconciliation if it hasn't worked. You've done your bit before God. But don't lose patience. Leave it in the hands of God. Wait. Pray about it. Desire it. Without obsessing over it. As I say, it sometimes takes time to regain trust, confidence, and delight in another person. But even without that, it does not mean you have not forgiven the person. As long as you've done it in the, those four things that I've talked about. Because remember here, what we're talking about here is reconciliation. There can be forgiveness without a deep and delightful reconciliation with someone. They can. Anyway, thank you for listening patiently. Just to summarize what we've learned this evening. This passage has been teaching two important truths about forgiveness. First, all followers of Christ must forgive each other because we are forgiven in Christ. And secondly, we must forgive each other as we are forgiven by Christ. But before I finish, let me just say this. The question, of course, is that how should we then respond to these truths? Well, let me just give you three quick things, and I'll be very quick. First, I think having heard this truth, be thankful. Be thankful for what underpins all of this, which is that God in Christ forgave you. I hope you know what it means to be forgiven by God. And if you know that in Christ, then thank God that we are talking about forgiveness here because he has forgiven you your sins, past, present, and future. You are a forgiven sinner. The second thing, quickly, repent of your unforgiveness of other followers of Christ. And show them that you have truly repented by genuinely doing those three things, four things we talked about. Unilateral action, substitution, doing good, pursuing reconciliation. Finally, resolve to invest in growing a forgiving heart. God wants you to cooperate with him as he grows your forgiving heart. How do we grow? Well, all those six things we've been talking about, other virtues apply here, and we're not going to go through them. That's another, that would be another sermon. But when it comes to forgiveness, you can think of those six things, can't you? Be convinced forgiveness is good for you. Start there. That's how you grow in forgiveness. Pray to God to grow you in it. Prayer is key. Repent of any sinful hindrances to unforgiveness. Keep reminding yourself of your identity in Christ. Verse 12 is vital. Number five, keep meditating on the forgiving character of Christ. We haven't even spent time. It's a shame, isn't it? We haven't spent time this evening thinking of Christ, the forgiving servant. That's a whole different sermon, as we've done for the other virtues. That's a pity, but we only had a few time. But think about, spend time, that's your homework. Think about the forgiving heart of Christ. Research him in the Gospels. And finally, keep the ordinary means of grace, especially fellowship. Other believers are so important to grow us in this. Because they can remind us where we are being unforgiving.
Well, may the Lord help all of us to grow in forgiving each other. And thank you for listening so patiently to this. We spent a, a lot of minutes, but um, it's an important subject. And thank you for your patience.